The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and had come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Uh, If you (laughs) didn't feel like Thanksgiving had flown by this morning before you got here, I bet it does now. (laughs) We've got Christmas trees up here, peppermint coffee, uh, the music, everything's so Christmassy. Uh, And even in thinking about that, that Thanksgiving was here and gone, uh, I just want to start this morning with this this, this thought that that could happen with Christmas, that this Advent season could fly by, that our Christmas celebrations could come and go, and we could be, at the end of it, just looking back and what even happened. It just flew by, and it's here and gone. Uh, December's five days away. Like, like November is here and gone. It's just wild to me. It's blowing me away this morning. Um, if we haven't met before, my name is Dan. I'm a pastor in training here with the church, uh, here with Citizens. Uh, I'm going to go over and kind of kick off our Advent series for us, uh, get us talking about the gifts of Christmas. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, uh, and I'm going to pray before we kick off the two. God, thank you for this Sunday that we can come in and already be filled with joy and celebration and all the feelings that come along with Christmas. I I pray that today as we kick off our Advent series, as we look forward and we look up to set our eyes on you, Lord, that we would be preparing, we would be worshipful, that we would be expecting to celebrate your birth and your coming here as King. May this prepare our hearts for delight and joy and celebration. May we see, we see you rightly today in this season. Amen. So uh, a couple years ago, I got to surprise Cassandra with some tickets for a flight, for us to fly to Hawaii to see one of her childhood best friends. It was really cool. I put a pineapple in a new set of luggage and I sprayed it with tropical Febreze. Um, <laughs> and I thought that she would just get it. Like if you open up a luggage and that's in there, you're like, oh, we're going to Hawaii. Uh, instead, she opened it up and she was like, why is this wet? Because the Febreze had just kind of sewed into the sides. And eventually she found the tickets and opened it up and was like, wait, what is this? We're going to Hawaii? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we are. 
And it was a beautiful trip. Her friend is a marine biologist who worked at the aquarium in Honolulu. It's a dream that we got to, to live, live with her for a week and to check out Hawaii. Uh, there's one slight asterisk on this trip for me, and that is that her friend is a vegan, which is fine. This is not about that. I'm not evaluating her about this at all. It's entirely a statement about me. Uh, and I'm saying that because literally last night I couldn't stop laughing. For dinner, I had a bowl of ham. Uh, and that was it. Just leftover ham, microwaved it, and it was just it's so good. It just hit the right spot. Where was I? Was I talking Hawaii? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it shouldn't surprise you, uh, but that's who I am. I smoke pork on my uh, grill like once or twice a week. Like, it is a big part of my life. Uh, so all week long, I had my sights set. We assimilated this. We didn't want to use her cookware for all that. It was like, oh, I stepped in. We had great food. I remade some of the recipes. It was all good. Uh, but all week long, I was just looking ahead to a night that Cassandra and I would just go away uh, to the steakhouse. And I was like, there it is. Like, the end of this week is coming. I'm going to get that plate. It is going to be a steak, period. I knew that was happening. If the car would have broke down on the way there, I would have ran. Uh, if there was water in the way, I would have swam. If chickpeas and homemade kombucha would have fueled me enough to do that, I would have gotten there. And I did. And it was great. It was so good. Uh, the special that day was a T-bone steak about the size of the plate that I was eating on. Phenomenal. No leftovers. Absolutely gone. I'm sure a dozen times throughout that meal, I was sure this is the best steak. Oh, this is so good. Oh, uh, can we just be thankful that this day has come? Uh, and Cassandra was rolling her eyes as I was even retelling her this story. She was like, I don't think it was that bad. And I was like, thank you, I, I appreciate your forgiveness. Um, but out of this story, what I was thinking about preparing for Advent is that there's, there's something that we all know to be true. When we finally get the thing that we've been waiting for, looking forward to when it comes, it brings out of us this uncontrollable joy and excitement. You might be thinking back to times like seeing your favorite performer live in a sold-out stadium with all of these people who just love and are excited to hear that music. Finishing a degree after years of work and waiting, will that day finally come? And it does, and you are celebrating. The day of a wedding, days and months of planning and budgeting and just wondering, when will this work be over and when can we step into the celebration of what God is doing in our lives? These things point to that, that waiting and that joy that is to come, and that we respond to it with joy. So that's what we're going to see happen today in the story of the Magi. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this particular part of the Christmas story, the visit of the wise men, or the Magi, and we'll spend most of our series exploring together the gifts that they brought with them to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, what these gifts mean and what they point to about Jesus. But this week, I want us to just walk through the story of the Magi, who they were, what story did they have to tell us in Matthew 2. And in doing so, I want to show what their response to the arrival of Jesus was, this long-awaited Messiah. And then what that means for us as we respond to the arrival of Jesus in our lives. So I'm going to get into their story, but before I do, I just want to set up a little bit of context that helps us see what's been going on. In the Old Testament, there are 574 verses that point to the coming Messiah. A conservative count, depending on what metric you use, sees 200 prophecies pointing to Jesus coming as a king. I want to show a few references of these. The references will be on the screen, but I will read them to you. In Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clan of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. 
In Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. The Israelites were expecting a child to be born in Bethlehem who would be king. And these prophecies go back hundreds and even over a thousand years before Jesus' birth. But then you reach this part in the story as well. After the book of Malachi, where it is like all communication goes dark, 400 years of silence from God. No prophecies, just waiting. And then this story picks up in Matthew 1. An angel comes to Mary, sending her a message that she will bear a child who will be named Emmanuel. God is with us. And they travel to Bethlehem and are given space in a barn, and Jesus is born. It is there in the story where we will pick up in Matthew 2. So if you have a Bible or a device, you can pull that up and follow along. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. To get this started, I want to just kind of give some clarity where there are a lot of assumptions that we make about these wise men. First, I just want to point out who they were. They were highly respected experts in their field. The term magi and wise men are used synonymously. And this role that they were playing was actually very highly regarded socially. Uh, Joseph A. Seiss is a theologian who wrote about them. I'll read a, a brief quote um, that he put forward. Anciently, these magi, they were a pastoral people, greatly occupied with religion, astronomy, and other sacred sciences. They were the great teachers of kings and people in the divine wisdom. The magi were useful people in their expertise. They were even advisors to kings, so well respected that they would be in this position. Uh, second, there were many travelers among them in this group, not just three. The stories become about three wise men because there are three gifts, uh, but there's probably more, definitely 50, maybe 100, maybe even 200 people within this group as they travel. They traveled in clans or as like a sect or a school together. They also often brought their families and their servants. So this was a large group of people moving from one place to another as they were seeking out this kingdom. And third, they were from the, the Far East. We don't know exactly where this points to. There's some other context in the story that I'll get to that points to this being pretty far away. Uh, these magi could be coming from anywhere as close as a day or two's travel, or as far as Babylon, which would have taken months. But we know that they were not from Jerusalem. And another thing that this points to, with them being from far away, uh, biblical scholars often argue that Matthew was showing that these, these magi were Gentiles. They were not the people of God. They were not raised expecting a king, but they were people who studied and were looking for what is right about religion, what is right about the world. And so this also can point to the fact that if they were Gentiles coming in, that they were also sharing the news that this king was coming, and it points to a future that God was a God over the whole world, not just the Israelites, and that he would use Gentiles to spread the gospel. So likely, they've been studying lots of different prophecies, lots of different religions, but they are compelled by what they have read in the Old Testament and the signs that they're seeing in the world around them. So much so, this is a large school of highly respected scholars that are then coming to Jerusalem, and they say this in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. This should have alerted everyone in Jerusalem something was going on. They were saying that the king everyone here has been expecting 
they've been waiting for. They're saying that he's arrived, that he's come. They're asking where he's at. One of the signs that we saw in Numbers earlier is that a star would rise up to signify that the king was coming and that these experts in their field saw it and were telling people in Jerusalem, they were alerting them, hey, this is happening right now as we have arrived. They were making so much commotion about it that the king of Jerusalem heard of this and sought them out and wanted to hear more. So we continue in verse 3. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the people want to know more. Where is this Christ to be born? And as they're asking the Magi who are going through it, the wise men say in response, they point to this prophecy in, in Micah. They say, he's from Bethlehem. Where is Bethlehem? Then Herod summoned the wise men, continuing in verse 7. He brought them together, and he ascertained from them about the timeline, from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod, the king of Judea, uh, also uh, was given the, the nickname, this title from Rome, king of the Jews himself. He was troubled, uneasy, bothered when he heard that these magi were looking for the king of the Jews. He likely first thought something like, well, you found him, you're talking to him, it's me. I, I rebuilt a temple here, this, this, you're looking for me. But he knew that they were also, they were looking for a child. So he knew they couldn't. So he calls the magi together on this secret meeting where he sends them to go find the child so that Herod says he can come and worship him. These secret meetings, a troubled and paranoid king. It's interesting to know, we will go back, but let's see how this plays out in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Lastly, through the story that we're reading today, we see the Magi followed the star as it moved across the sky. It landed over the house where Mary and Jesus were. And when they entered, they fell to the ground and worshipped him, giving him gifts. We've heard the story a lot, I am sure, or maybe you're coming in here hearing it for the first time. But what I would like to show is what this story means for us. As I said, we'll explore the gifts and what they say about Jesus in the weeks to come. But for now, I want us to focus on the story itself. I want us to hone in on how the different people within this story responded to the news that Jesus was coming as a king. I want to ask, did you notice the contrast between these three groups? You see these religious leaders that were consulted within Jerusalem. We see Herod and we see the wise men. So we're going to look at each one of these and how they responded to Jesus, and then reflect on that and see how can we then respond to Jesus as well. The first one we're going to look at, his first response was indifference. Indifference to Jesus. If you look back at this story, plenty of people, plenty of people in Jerusalem likely heard what the Magi were saying. They just came in asking, we need to find this child, where is he? And they, this group, I, I mean, if there was a hundred of people coming in and asking for this, like, you would notice that in the top. A bunch of these foreign people coming in. Where is the king? Where is this born prophesied baby? 
They were asking where the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies were to the Israelites. Where is this newborn king? He should be here. And so the Jewish citizens likely heard this. They heard the asking, and they pointed them to the king. The king heard this, and then sent them, instead of going himself. And then he assembled the chief priests and scribes of the city, the appointed leaders of the faith who studied the scriptures, who were dedicating their lives to these prophecies. They all remained in Jerusalem. They did not go on with Nadeva. Bethlehem is two miles away. It's a one-hour walk if you're casual about it, I suppose. They could have just skipped over to see it for themselves. If this was truly pointing to something as important in their longing and their waiting, they could have gone. And I could not imagine waiting generation after generation, hearing that this is to come, 400 years of silence from God, and this possible moment, is this the fulfillment of the prophecies? To then hear that, to have somebody be, hey, hey, Benjamin, come here, come here. We're hearing these, these foreigners are coming in, and they're saying that the prophecies are fulfilled of an hour away. Do you want to go? And this guy just goes, no, I'll wait for them to come back. Just tell me about it. Just let me hear about it from them. It seems like such shrugging off and just not caring about it for themselves. This indifference is so clear. And as frustrating as it can be to look back at this account and to think that we would be different, I really feel like we can't say that, that we are not so different. Uh, some examples of this are because we lose focus on what God is doing in us and around us every day. Instead of, in the, the busyness and the bustle and the life that we're going on, instead of faithfully ministering to our kids and our families, Every evening might just feel like a rush through the routine, making sure everyone is fed and in bed, just getting through it. Instead of seeing how God might use us to build relationships with our coworkers every day, we instead just keep our faces down, get through the day, and just hurry up to get home. Even in preparing for our Christmas celebrations, we can fill the table with food, the tree with gifts, and then move through the entire holiday with our eyes on our comforts instead of the celebration of our King and our Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave a sermon on this in 1928. It's about Advent, on waiting on the Savior. And in that sermon, he says this. Not all can wait, certainly not those who are satisfied, contented, and feel that they live in the best of all possible worlds. Those who learn to wait are uneasy about the way of life, but yet have seen a vision of greatness in the world of the future and are patiently expecting its fulfillment. The celebration of Advent, catch this, is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who can look forward to something greater to come. Like the priests of Jerusalem, we can get too drawn into how things are now. We can get too content with where we are at, and we can lose sight of our longing and our need for a Savior and become indifferent to this Christmas season. That is one response that we can choose. I hope you don't, but let's look at another. The second we will look at is opposition. We're going to look at who opposed Jesus as king, who fought against it, who did not desire it. To do that, we're going to look back at Herod, the king, our paranoid king, who was troubled and called this secret meeting with the Magi so that he could find Jesus and, quote, worship him. There are some extra details to his character that I think are really helpful to read into what he is actually saying here. 30 years before this point in the story, Herod and his wife, Herod had his wife and children executed out of fear that they would overthrow him. When he was ill and near death at the end of his life, Herod had his oldest son killed so that he could hold on to his last days of power, so that he would not be overthrown by his son. 
And then on the day that he died, Herod had it arranged that hundreds of Jewish leaders would also be killed to ensure that there would be mourning at his time of death. He was terribly self-centered and paranoid. There was a saying under his rule in Jerusalem, it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than in his family. So when Herod says, let me find baby Jesus so that I can worship him, we should kind of walk that back a little bit. His track record was that he would do anything to keep as much power as he could for himself for as long as he possibly could. Which is why it would not surprise us when we read on in verse 16 of Matthew 2. It says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod did not want to worship Jesus. He wanted him dead. Jesus was a threat to Herod's reign as king, and he wanted to do anything he could to stop Jesus from taking his power. Now, just because we are not kings, that does not mean that we don't try to protect our own kings. And here's what I mean by that. Advent is a particular season that is a declaration that God has come into the world, and it is a reminder to us that he is seeking to become king and to come in and reign in our lives. So the question that we need to ask ourselves as we're looking at this story is, are we open to his rule and reign in our lives? Are we open to that? When scripture shows us, like we just recently talked about, our speech matters. When we grumble or complain, slander, or when we gossip, this is damaging, it is hurtful, it is not good for us, and it dishonors God. And when Jesus says his way is better, and that we are to not do that, we are to honor him and to love each other, are we open to that? Like, do we change our speech? Do we actually say, no, this is right, and this is worth it, and this is good? Do we allow his rule and reign over our time and our speech? In more subtle ways, do we ask Jesus in prayer how he might want us to parent? What could we change to be better parents to our kids? How could we step into our community groups and care better over others? Would we let him change us in that? How would King Jesus want us to step into our work week? How might he want us to use our free time on the weekends? Are we open to giving these things over to our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah, and our King Jesus? Advent is a time where we prepare our hearts for the coming of our King, and who has this claim over every aspect of our lives. Um, I am so rarely on Facebook. Um, it's laughable. I, my, my family just knows it. They're like, oh, you didn't see that, never mind. But um, my wife was just posting some stuff over our Thanksgiving, our holidays, our apple butter making. And so I was on Facebook just last night, kind of scrolling through, scrolling through some stuff. And I saw this post from a good college friend of mine um, who was just posting some truth about Jesus. And there was just one comment on it from a mutual friend of ours who said, I was raised in the church, but I'm agnostic now. And if God exists, he would just have no power over my baby's life. Like, I, I would not give that to him, so it doesn't matter. And I saw that, and I was like, man, like, I'm preaching on this tomorrow, this, this balance of both indifference that says, I don't even care if God is real or not, because if he does, I'm opposed. I will give him nothing, and my, my daily life is mine to protect. And it saddened me, of course, but it's such a common, common approach to God these days indifference to whether he exists, and if he does, I don't care, I, I would not give him that. And I want to address that 
you might be in the room today hearing this and feeling that way, that, that you're not unsure if God exists or some particular details, but there are things that you would hold on to and not give over. And I, I want to just speak to that for a bit, is struggling with the idea that Jesus is God and King is hard. It means that you are not, and it's just a hard message to hear. No one in this room hears that and does not struggle with that on some level. And Jesus as king might just feel like a, a threat, as, a, as a, an attack on the power and control that you have on your daily life. And what I, hope, what I hope that you can hear through this Christmas season and today is that when we profess that Jesus is king, we know it doesn't come without cost to ourselves, but it is for our good. We do deny ourselves of sinful desires of our temptations for things that we think are good but are actually leading to pain and even ultimately our death. But, but it is for good that Jesus wants his power over our life because it, it is his power and him as king that when we give him that and we worship him, it frees us from the sin that leads to our death. And instead, I do ask that you consider trusting Jesus as king with life, with your life, with your daily life, because it ends in life that is what he offers. Jesus' invitation is to worship him as the Lord. As the Magi did, that brings us to our third response to Jesus, to worship him. And what is, what is shocking about the Magi's response is a couple of different things I want to point out. One, I alluded to this earlier, they were willing to travel a great distance to see this king. I want to argue that the Magi did travel at least a couple of months with their families on camels or walking uh, this entire trip, as we read in Matthew. Um, Herod had all of his sons, ages zero to two, killed based on the timeline that he had talked about with the Magi about when Jesus would have been born. And so if you look at that conversation that they had and the travel time it would have taken them to get to Herod and get to Bethlehem, it's this large gap of time that is likely because of how far the Magi would have had to travel to get to where Jesus was born. And the story even tells us they got there after he was born too. And so if the star raised when he was born and then they traveled, if that zero to two year period, they likely traveled very far distance. They also brought very expensive gifts. We'll talk about these more in the next couple of weeks, but just to give some context, they gave honor and worship by giving this child costly gifts. Uh, gold has to be physically mined from the earth refined and worked and purified. It's a very laborious process and therefore extremely expensive at this time. And God, uh, this gold is tremendously valuable as, as it is even today because of how precious and rare it is. Um, frankincense and myrrh are both from very far off in the East. They're imported goods. They're exotic and rare. They're made from tree saps and resins used to make incense and perfume. And they're actually valued more than gold at this time because of its rarity and also the craft work that is used to make them. These gifts were produced from elaborate work and extremely valuable to their economy. And then lastly, these highly respected, very um, very revered, just expert people or advisors to kings high up in social standing, when they walk into the room, they bow to a baby. They give this baby worship and honor. All of these point to the worship that they had in their hearts for this king, which is what we are invited to do every day with our lives. Our, prayers, our homes, our relationships, even our money, all of these things we get to give as worship over to Jesus Christ as our Savior and King. So as a church, we are taking time in this sermon series to help us all in this Advent series respond in those ways. 
to let this Advent season be marked with sacrificial generosity and with worship to King Jesus. So those are the two things that we are going to be looking at through this season, how we can step into worship and how we can step into sacrificial generosity. We've got a couple ways that we're going to put in front of you throughout the series too that we think will be really helpful to those things. First with worship. When I say worship, I don't just mean Sunday like we're doing today, that we are praying, we are singing, uh, we are uh, participating in worship on Sunday. But I also mean throughout six other days of the week, seeking to see the work of Jesus in our life, and the work of Jesus in the, in the life around us as well. And so in order to also come alongside you all with that, uh, we've come up with an Advent guide. You can pick one up for free, the right outside. Daily prayers, daily uh, reflections to help us prepare for Christmas and to worship Jesus throughout this entire season. Uh, second, the sacrificial generosity. In order to help us step into this, every year we do a Christian, uh, Christian Christmas missions offering. Um, so we've got three different uh, areas that these offerings will be going towards. I'll highlight these briefly, but we'll be talking about them a lot. Um, if you give to this Christmas missions offering, our hope and our prayer is that we would be able to raise $10,000 during this season to give to three ministry initiatives so that we can see our city, our state, our nation, and our world just continue to expand in God's kingdom around us. The first is that this would support church planting in the United States. We are part of the Harbor Network Conference, and this is a group of like-minded churches across the country who seek to launch, lead, and multiply thriving churches that will last. And so part of our Christmas offering will go towards them. Uh, the second project is the Leipzig Project Church Plant. Uh, these are missionaries that we've been building a partnership with in Germany, who one sociologist has recently labeled East Germany as the most godless place on earth which is a terrifying statement, and I don't want to let my imagination try to figure out what it comes to. But these missionaries are there working hard to see that change, to see God's kingdom expand. So this money will go towards them finding permanent housing to establish their hub and their place of mission there in East Germany. And then lastly, uh, a third project this will be going towards is a Citizens Church Ministry Expansion. Uh, we have been praying and asking the Lord and really hoping for a, a long-term hub in our city a place that can serve as a kingdom outpost for us here as we live out mission to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him here in Charlotte for many more decades to come. So, let us respond rightly to the birth of King Jesus with worship, with prayer, and with song, and with generosity all throughout our lives. If you would stand with me, I will pray, and we will transition for the time of response. Thank you, thank you for this time this morning to transition out of a wonderful Thanksgiving season to just draw our attention into Advent that Jesus ended the silence of time of people waiting for God to speak, that these prophecies for hundreds of years were pointing towards a king and a ruler, and Jesus to come as God in the flesh to to care for us, to pay for our needs, to give us what we truly need. God, I, I pray that this season would be a time that we can reflect and know our neediness so it's met by Jesus. That we would not be distracted by the comforts that we do have, the contentment that we do have, and the comforts that are around us, but also to be very aware of the daily neediness that we have for a Savior and a King. May this Advent season fill us with the joy and anticipation to celebrate 
the life and the birth of Jesus and his death and what it means for us. I pray out of your generosity, Lord, your overflowing love for us, that we can receive that with gladness and thanksgiving, and then we can also turn with that and respond out of that with our own generosity and love for others around us. I pray that this Advent season would be would be changing for us in our hearts, that we would not be indifferent, that we would not be opposing Jesus.